I'm so glad to see you guys this morning. We're in a series we're calling Legacy. I just got to be honest with you that I felt very strongly as we got closer to the time that Pastor Farrell was going to leave and they've asked me to step in as your interim lead pastor that we would spend the first few weeks of my leadership here uh, doing a couple of things that I think are critical. First of all is to celebrate uh, the legacy of the last 27 years that Pastor Farrell and Millie have laid in this place. Can we just stop and do that right now? Thank you, Pastor Farrell and Miss Millie for your legacy. They've been in Tennessee, but I gather they're watching our services online and say, hey, Farrell, how you doing, brother? Good to see you, man. Uh, and so we're celebrating all of that. But at the same time, we're making a commitment that we're not going to just rest on our laurels and consume that legacy. That, in fact, we're going to think forward to the next generation, and we're going to make sure that we are catapulting this legacy to a whole nother level. And so week by week, what we've been doing is looking at different aspects of the legacy. We will continue another week of this as we look week by week through aspects of the legacy, reminding ourselves of the key quote. You remember the key quote? Reminding ourselves week by week. Let's put it up on the screens. Here we go. An inheritance, read it with me, an inheritance comes at the sacrifice of one generation for the benefit of the next generation. Make sense? Do you hear like this? Okay. All right. Any generation, go ahead, that is unwilling to sacrifice does what? Reduces the inheritance of the next. And so what we've been doing week by week is looking at those things and asking ourselves, how are we doing? Not how we've been, but how are we now and where are we going from here? In the first week, we talked about why we call membership here ownership and why we talked about that reality that we're not hirelings. We are in fact heirs. We are sons and daughters in the family business, God and Sons Incorporated, and we are heirs of this great inheritance. If you haven't done the ownership class yet, it's, uh, it's not too late to sign up. July 30th is the next class. And a new feature to the class, in case you don't know it, is we're actually going to offer the class during Sunday morning services. So you can come to first service and stay for ownership, or you can do ownership in the first service and stay for worship, and you can get it all in, and your kid, child care to be here and all that. So text ownership to 72345, 72345, it's up on the screens, and, uh, and let us know, or go to the website, you can sign up there. There's a place on your Connect card, you can sign up there. Let us know you plan to be in ownership, somebody be in touch with you, and get a clearer picture of whether you want to do the first service session or the second service session, but get in. Okay, you with me? You with me? Are you guys out there? Is this microphone on? Are you... Second week, we talked about honoring our Christian heritage and the Christian heritage of our great nation and just challenged ourselves to be educated and engaged as citizens of this great nation. Last week, we talked about taking a multi-generational view of life, honoring the wisdom of the older generation, embracing the energy and the new ideas of the emerging generation, and then we who are part of the current generation, making sure that we are the linkage between those two things together. If you missed any of those, uh, you can get the manuscripts, info at bridgechurch.cc, get all the manuscripts of these messages, or you can follow along today and get the outline, get all the scriptures, all the points by going to the Bible app, Events, Bridge Princeton, and you can follow along with the message today. Somebody told me, I ran into somebody in a restaurant this week, and she said, I went to the bridge this past week, and I love it. It's so wonderful. I've just had a wonderful time. But there was this guy down the road, uh, down the row from me, and I think he was one of the pastors, and he was texting through the whole service. I said, ma'am, he was taking notes on the sermons, what he was doing, and so that you have a chance to, oh, I wondered why he was texting. That didn't make sense to me. She said, that was kind of new to me. So don't be texting and pretending you're taking notes, okay? Got it? Got it? 
but go to the Bridge app, or to the Bible app, Events Princeton Bridge, and follow along. Hashtag Legacy HNL, put something out there. Let's communicate with one another what God is saying to our hearts as we go. Today, we're looking at the legacy of service in our church. Let's be honest, guys, if you've got any church background at all, you know that far too many churches in America, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. No, no, let's, let's correct that. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Am I right? And so we have this incredible privilege of being a part of a church where literally hundreds of people serve every weekend. There's close to 1,000 people on one of the serve teams in this church, either in our weekend services or in outreach kind of stuff. And so we have a legacy of service around here, a culture of service, but we're not going to consume it. We're not just going to take advantage of those people that are serving. We're going to ask ourselves, what sacrifice am I going to make, each of us, in terms of serving the Lord? So in the few minutes that I've got with you this morning, I, I want to go to the why. I just want to talk to you a little bit about why we serve, and uh, from a scriptural, biblical perspective, I want to see what Jesus says about this thing, and then I want to challenge us all to prayerfully consider taking our service to the HNL, to the whole nother level. You with me? To do that, we're going to go to a very familiar story that Jesus told. It's often referred to as the story of the talents. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. If you want to turn in your Bible or spin there on your smartphone or go to the Bible app and follow along, we're going to be walking through Matthew 25 today. And we're simply going to uh, see that Jesus identifies three biblical principles and illustrates them better than I could. And so we're just going to walk through that story and see what we can pull out of it for ourselves and ask ourselves the honest question, how are we doing? I'm, how are you doing? How are you doing in these principles? Is that worth a few minutes of your time? Three simple principles. Let's get into it. Principle number one is the principle of ownership. Say it with me. The principle of ownership. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, New King James. The kingdom of God is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now let's just get the picture, set it up before we get into the story too far. Do you see what's going on? There's this rich dude who's going on a journey, and before he leaves, he gets three of his trusted employees together, and he says, guys, I want you to take care of my stuff while I'm gone. Simple? Got it? You with me? Who, who, whose stuff does he want them to take care of? His stuff. Do you see the spiritual parallel yet? Do I have to unpack that for you? David said it this way in the Psalms, Psalm 50 verse 10, the Lord said, every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. And the country preacher said, and the taters in them hills. <laughs> Guys, it all belongs to God. Can I get a witness? It all belongs to God. We get to use it, used <laughs> for 60, 70, 80 years and then we pass it on to the next generation, used some more. That's it. It belongs to him. First thing Kim and I did, and we knew we were going to move back to Goldsboro, we called Tammy Syverson and said, Tammy, find us a house. And we went looking, and we found a house and some property, and we bought it. And if you go down to the courthouse and look up the deed, you'll see Jim and Kim Wall on the deed of that property. But guess what? It was there before I was born, and it will be there when I'm gone. It ain't ultimately mine. I just paid a lot of money for it to be mine for a little while. <laughs> Got it? So whose is it really? Who made it? God. You ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? I mean, just for the record, you ever seen? 
Here's what the principle says. Everything I have belongs to God. Let me say it again. Everything I have belongs to God. You want to say it with me? Everything I have belongs to God. Look at somebody and say, everything you have belongs to God. Go ahead. Everything you have belongs to God. Principle number two. You ready? Principle number two is the principle of allocation. Principle of allocation is found in verse 15 of that same Matthew 25. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. This principle then says, God has given me some talents. Say it with me. God has given me some talents. Now look at somebody and say, God has given you some talents. Do you believe that? Now say it again. God has given me some talents. Do you believe that? Isn't it amazing how much easier it is to look at somebody and say, God's given you some talents, than it is to say, God's given me some talents. Somehow it doesn't feel humble quite to say, God's given me some talents. But the truth is, God has given all of us some talents. If you read some different translations of Matthew 25, some of them will actually say bags of gold. He gave them five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold. And, and people have asked me through the years, Jim, does that mean that, that, contradiction, that, that translations contradict each other? No, that's not what it means at all. The Greek word is talathon, and talathon literally means uh, of something that has value that can be weighed. That's, that's what the word literally means. Generally, back in those days, it was 75 pounds of silver, which at the time was worth about $1,000. But it's legitimate because of that word, Greek word talaton. It's legitimate to say any asset that the master owns and entrusts to us can be called a talent. And I've already said it. You've said it too. God has given me some talents. Got the picture? So, master's going away. Before he goes away, he leaves his assets with his trusted servants. He gives one five talatons. He gives one two talatons. He gives another one talaton. Each according to what the master has assessed is that servant's ability to take care of it. Do you see that? Each according to his own ability. So the master determined, how much can this guy handle? I'm going to give him that much. How much can this one handle? I'm going to give him that much. And he apportioned it out to them in a way that he knew they could if they would. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Now we can't move on until we get a couple of things. We've got to get a couple of details here. First of all, everybody got something and nobody got the same thing. Everybody got something. Nobody got the same thing. You, you see that? There are no, no talent people. Hello? I don't have any talents. Yes, you do. You have, the, you have the ability to hear what I just said, decide that you disagree with me, and tell me that you disagree. That's an ability in itself. And we take a lot of our abilities for granted. We have strength and skill and health and family and, and children and business opportunities. We have the ability to be to live in this amazing nation, something that millions and millions of people across the world wish they had. <coughs> so we're blessed. <coughs> Excuse me. We're blessed with all kinds of abilities, and it all belongs to him, and he's entrusted it to us. Romans chapter twelve, verse six. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. In other words, if you got grace, you got gifts. You got grace, you got gifts. The Greek word there is the Greek word charis that, that literally means grace. We get the word 
charismatic from it. You say he's a charismatic figure. What are we saying? We're saying he's a very gifted person, right? Well, that's what the word charis simply means, is it's a grace gift. And that's why you can't brag about the gifts that you have, because you didn't earn the gifts that you have. God, just by his grace, gave you some gifts. He gave you some talents. He gave you some abilities. And we have to remember when we reflect on those things, principle number one is the principle of, are you following with me? It's the principle of ownership. Everything I have really belongs to God. You see, when I do these pop tests, it helps if you're taking notes as you go along, then you can pass the test. Okay? Principle number two is the principle of allocation. God has given all of us something. Say it with me. God has given all of us something. Wow, Madge, that's two out of three already. We're going to get out of church soon today. No, we're going to camp out on number three, okay? Principle number three is where the rubber meets the road. Principle number three is the principle of accountability. And that principle simply says this, lean in. If you went to brunch, come on back. God expects me to use the talents he gave me. God expects me to use my talent. Say it with me. God expects me to use my talent. He's made an investment. He expects a return. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You see what's going on? He, he went away, came back. He said, okay, well, let's settle up. Let's see what happens. Guys, I don't like to say this kind of thing because you may tune out the rest of the message, but, but this is one time I'm going to say it because even if you tune out, I don't want you to hear this. Uh, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the, the judgment. Romans 14 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Um. You see, God's going to do this great audit one day of each of our lives. Now, here's the good news. We serve an amazing, gracious, loving God. He wants you to pass the audit. He wants it so badly, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to make it possible for you to pass it. Okay? But there are two questions on the audit, and you've got to be ready for those two questions. Question number one has to do with whether or not you get into heaven. When your time to come before God comes and he looks at you and says, why should I let you, an imperfect being, into my perfect heaven and mess it up? The answer is not, well, I did some good stuff and yeah, I probably did some bad stuff, but I think I did more good stuff than bad stuff. That's not the answer because it's a perfect place. He ain't going to let you mess up that perfection. So what's the answer? The answer is, Jesus told me that he paid the price for my ticket to get in. He paid the price of my admission. His blood that was shed on Calvary covers my imperfections, and that's what makes it possible for me to enter into that place and the Father will say, right answer, you get to come in. Now hear me, if there's any way, any one of you sitting in this room right now or watching online right now, if you're not absolutely sure that you've put your trust in what Jesus did on Calvary, if you're not absolutely sure that you've settled this thing, 
that when I stand before the Father in the final day, I'm going to be able to look him in the eye and say, I trusted Jesus. Check the book and see if my name isn't in the book written in his blood. If you're not absolutely sure of that, please, I beg you, do not pass another minute without just stopping and saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Do it right now. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. I didn't deserve it, but I sure am thankful for it. Forgive me of my sin and give me a fresh start today. And you know what? The Bible says if you'll confess, he'll forgive. You get a fresh start. You get to pass that audit right now and get on with life. I said there was a second question, though, isn't there? The second question doesn't have to do with entry into heaven. You settled that one. Jesus paid it all. The second question has to do with the rewards that you receive in heaven. And that question, would you like to know what that question is? You want to just move on, skip that one? Second question is, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? What what return on my investment are you bringing? If you read the rest of the story in Matthew chapter 25, two of the guys invested their talents, and, and the result was that it increased And the master was so excited that he congratulated them and gave them more. He said, wow, you've proven to be trustworthy with that amount. I'm going to give you some more. And i got to be honest with you, the first time I read that many years ago, my first thought was, I don't know if I like that. That sounds like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Does that make sense? That doesn't seem fair. But you need to understand something about the universe that God created, and that is that he built certain laws into the universe. And, and you don't break God's laws. God's laws break you. you. You know that, right? You can decide that you don't like the law of gravity, but if you step off a 15-story building, the sidewalk is coming. <laughs> You can pass by the 10th story and have someone lean out the window and say, how you doing? And you may say, so far so good. The view is amazing from here. But the sidewalk is coming. You can pass by the fifth floor and have somebody say, well, I tried to tell you that gravity was real, but you said that I was being disrespectful when I disagreed with you. But the sidewalk's coming. Why? Because the law of gravity is real. The law of the harvest is real. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. So if you sow corn seed, what do you get? Rice, right? Well, I'm not a farmer. I don't know, but somehow that doesn't make sense. If you plant corn, what do you get? Corn. Here's what I know about corn. If you put two kernels of corn in the ground, what do you get? You get two ears of corn. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and that's no different whether you sow good things or bad things. You're still going to reap what you sowed. Well, there's a law in Matthew chapter 25 that is true. Whether you like it or not, it's absolutely true, and it's what many have termed the law of use and abuse. You know that law? How many of you, any of you guys go to a gym? Bunch of lazy rascals. <laughs> if you go to a gym, what happens? If you work the muscle properly, 
if you use it properly, what happens? You get stronger. Or you get better, right? If you abuse it, what happens? You, you, you injure yourself and it gets weaker. And so you can abuse it and lose it, but you can use it properly and enhance it. And I've lived that experience out many years. You know, I work out for a while and then quit for a while and work out for a while. And when I start back, you guys have never made this mistake, I know. But when I start back, I try to, try to start back at the place that I was when I was working out regularly. And then I have six weeks of physical therapy before I can go back to the gym and work out some more. Because I lost some of what I had by not using it, right? Well, these guys understood that law. They used the talents well, and the result is they got a return on the investment. But the third guy was so afraid that he'd mess up, he decided he'd bury his talents. And i got to be honest with you, every time I read the master's reaction to him, it blows me away every time. Look at what he says, Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. Does he sound ticked off to you? Why? Because he didn't give him the talent to bury it. He fully expected him to invest it and gain interest for his farm, his ranch. Now, put yourself in all three guys' shoes, okay? Let's just kind of process through this in our heads. Put yourself in all three guys' shoes. How do you think the first guy felt? Invested, doubled, got 100% return. Master says, way to go, this is awesome. How do you think he felt? He's excited. He's grinning from ear to ear. Go, Jimmy. Go, Jimmy. Go, Jimmy. All right? It's good stuff. How's the second guy feel? He invested his two, got 100% return. How does he feel? He feels the same way because he invested what he had and he got a return, right? Hear me. The level of joy for guy one and guy two is the same, one of my favorite stories on that subject is, is the story of Billy Graham's conversion. Billy was a teenager in the Charlotte area, and uh, he and a friend of his heard about a revival going on with Mordecai Ham and decided they wanted to go hear this guy preach. And so the night they got there, the big tent that was set up was so packed with people, there were no seats available. And so they stood in the back for a few minutes, couldn't find a seat, started to leave. And an usher standing at the back said, whoa, babe, boys, wait, wait, no, don't go. I'll find you a place. Stand right here. I'll get you a place. And he went in. He got some people to move down. And he made a place for Billy and his friend to sit down. And that night, Mordecai presented the gospel and gave an invitation. And Billy Graham gave his life to the Lord that night. Now, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture Billy Graham standing in heaven, ready for his audit. What did you do about my son Jesus? And what did you do with the talents that I gave you? And following very closely behind him, I want you to see that usher getting ready for his. Come on. And I want you to see them embracing each other with the same level of joy when the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Come on. How about the third guy? Well, kind of, I was scared to try. Every party needs a pooper. That's why they invited me. Party pooper. I'm a worm. 
I'm no good. That's how he's feeling. You, you know the first thing I think when I run across a Christian that, that kind of has gotten bored? You, you, don't look at him, but you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and somewhere along the way, they, their faith has stopped being this dynamic relationship with a creative God. Somewhere along the way, their goal in life stopped being about running this race with excellence. Somewhere along the way, their life became this kind of routine of rules and rituals and regulations and events. As a result, somewhere along the way, they lost the spark. They lost the sense of wonder. When I talk to those people, you know what I find nine out of ten times? It's because they were sitting on the sidelines watching everybody else use their talents. Somebody said, the Super Bowl is a parable of the modern church. 22 people on the field desperate for rest. 22 million on the couch desperate for exercise. What am I telling you? I'm telling you the Christian life is not a spectator sport. God never intended for you to bury your talents while you consumed what everybody else around you was producing. That's why Jesus told this story, and that's why he taught us these truths. Everything I have really belongs to God. Say it with me. Everything I have really belongs to God. Number two, God has given me something. God has given me something. Number three, God expects me to use what he entrusted to me. Come on. God expects me to use what he entrusted to me. And I know, I know, I know, I know when I get this kind of down to the nitty gritty of all this kind of subject, there are a thousand reasons that you can't serve right now. I know. Don't send me emails this week, okay? Uh, I've been doing this long enough. I've probably heard your reason. In fact, I've found that there are four common ones. Let's just kind of, can we rehearse those four common ones right quick? Uh, here's, here's one of my favorites. Well, I'd serve, but I don't have as many talents as other people have. You know, if, if I had ability like so-and-so, then I would serve too. But if I could sing like Jared, I'd sing too, right? At, at the risk of getting too blunt with you, um, if you aren't, is this too hard? If, if, if you aren't serving with the talents that you have, what makes you think you would serve more if you had more? Besides, how, how do you get more? Did I mention the law of use and abuse? When I went to my pastor 40 none of your business years ago and said, I think I might be called to preach, we talked for two or three hours. I don't remember anything he said. <laughs> Except the last thing he said, he said, well, there's one way to find out. Preach for me Sunday. <laughs> no, 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 no. Give me some time. And so he gave me three weeks to work on it. And, and, uh, and he gave me a Wednesday night service instead of a Sunday morning. You know, and, I, and I preached that sermon, man. I preached it in the woods on a stump. I preached it in the mirror. In fact, I wrote four sermons so I would be sure that I would be in the spirit on that day. And I'm going to pick the sermon I'm going to preach that day depending on the flow of the service that day. And I went in that Wednesday night and we had the worship time and I'm thinking, which message am I going to do? And I picked one and I got up and I preached it. And when I was done, I preached the second one. And uh, 
when I was done, I went right into the third one, and when I was done, I, I wound up doing all four of them. And it took me nine minutes to do all four. <laughs> the widow of the founder of our church was there that night, and she stood at the back door, and she said, you're going to make a fine preacher someday. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm a fine preacher yet, but I'm a little better than I was. How did I get where I am? I used what he gave me, and he gave me more. I would serve, but I'm just not as talented as other people. That's irrelevant because you're not going to give an account for how Jim used his talents or how Larry used his talents. You're going to give an account for, for yourself. Excuse number two is I would serve, but I'm really, really busy right now. If I had more time, I'd serve. Life is just so busy these days. If, if that's you, I, I got a verse for you that'll help you, okay? This is your refrigerator verse. Put it up on the fridge so you can see it. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I gave it to you in the International Children's Bible, so it'd be real simple for you to understand. <laughs> written on a third grade level. I'm serious. That's It's written on a third grade level. Here we go. Read it with me. God has made us what we are. In other words, God's given us all something, right? In Christ Jesus, God made us new people so that we would do good works. God had planned in advance those good works for us. Are you reading with me? He had planned for us to live our lives doing, wait a minute, is, guys in the book, is, is there another slide? Where's the rest of the verse? There's, there's more. My notes says that the verse goes, and he had planned for us to live our lives doing them as long as we have time. Is that That's not in there? It's in yours? Okay, good. Uh, actually, what you're looking at there is the International Children's Bible. What you heard me uh, talk about was the reviled substandard perversion. That's what that was. <laughs> Hear me, guys. He planned in advance the good works you were to do before you made all those commitments, before you got so busy. Hear me, I gotta move on, but hear me. Um, God put you on this planet on purpose. Regardless of how you got here or the circumstances of your birth, God put you on this planet on purpose for a purpose. And He's given you everything you need time, talent, opportunities, relationships. He'll give you everything you need to fulfill the purpose that He put you on this planet. To do, but that means that if you make a lot of commitments outside of his purpose, then you don't have the time and resources to do his purpose. Is this making sense? And his purpose is tied to your sense of fulfillment in life. Why do I feel fulfilled as a, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus Christ? Because I have this sense that things have been accomplished across my life that are bigger than me. They're, they're, they're God-sized. And the reason they are is because I made a decision a long, long, long time ago that I was going to say yes to him, which means I would say no to a lot of people. 
And there have been some people mad at me over the years because I wouldn't define my agenda by their agenda. But I'm not going to, did I mention there's an audit one day? And I'm not going to stand before those people. I got to tell you guys, I, I love this place. And I haven't even met some of you, but I've fallen in love with you. But I may have to say no to you once in a while in order to do what God's called me to do. And I don't apologize for that because I'm trying to role model that's what you got to do too in order to fulfill God's purpose. Somebody asked me just this week, I went to lunch with a pastor, and he said, Jim, how on earth do you lead an organization that plants five churches a year in three countries and serve as lead pastor of the bridge? And I said, the, the, it's this principle. I'm constantly evaluating everything I do on the basis of, is that what God put me on the planet to do? And if it's not, why am I doing it? And when you do it that way, you'll be amazed what you can accomplish in your lifetime. The third excuse that I hear, especially in a church like ours, and, and it has some validity to it, is I would serve, but I've been hurt so badly that I feel like I just need to be pew fodder for a while. There's some validity to that, okay? Church like ours, a lot of people come. We are a hospital for the hurting, and if you come in this place hurting, then you have come to the right place because this is, this is a place that loves and encourages and helps. You, we're not one of those God's army that kills its wounded, you know. We're one of those bring you in and love on you, but I need you to understand something, that there are two stages to your healing. How many of you have ever had surgery or any kind of a traumatic injury? How many of you ever had that? Or you know somebody that has? Most of us have, right? Okay. Uh, here's what happens. When you come out of that trauma or you come out of that surgery, there's a season in which the doctors and the nurses say, you need to be still in order to heal. Am I right? You're going to pull those stitches out. Or you, know, you just got to be still. But then one day, and probably a day or two sooner than you want them to, the doctor or the nurse or the physical therapist is going to come in and say, we're going to get up today. And your, and your response is, no, it hurts. I know. But you're going to start atrophying. Remember the law of use and abuse? You're going to start to atrophy if you don't start to move. You're going to develop pneumonia if you don't get up and start breathing more deeply. In other words, getting up and moving begins before the pain is gone. And it is part of your own healing. One of the reasons that people stay stuck in their pain is that they're focused on their pain all the time. And the only way you break free from that is to get up and start moving and start focusing on how God can turn your hurt into a help for people around you. So there's the be still stage and then there's the get up and get moving stage whether you feel like it or not as a part of your own healing process. It's a whole series in Matthew 25. Have you picked up on that? I'm just kind of giving you the, the surface level of this thing. But there's a fourth common one and it's the scariest one of all but I've heard it a lot. Well you know pastor I would serve but Boy, this is too important. This is eternal stuff. I mean, I can, I can build houses and I can teach school and I can fix cars, but, but, but 
share my faith with somebody, witness to somebody? No, 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 no. Teach a class? No, no, I could never do that. People's eternity is at stake. I'd be afraid I'd mess up. And if that's what you're thinking, you need to know that that's what the third character in our story said. Matthew 25, 24, and 5. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, and I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. You see what he's saying? He's saying, God, it's your fault that I didn't serve because you're such an unpleasable parent. You may have had an unpleasable parent or an unpleasable teacher, but you don't have an unpleasable God. You've got to love God that loves you completely, unconditionally, consistently. He just wants you to try. He just wants you to get up and get moving so that he can make up the difference between what you're capable of and what he's called you to do. He wants you to step out and trust him. So here's the point. Got to wrap up. Write this down, say this, get this in your head, whatever you got to do. I can't please God by sitting in the stands. I can't please God by sitting in the stands and I will stand before him one day. Whatever excuse that you've been using, no matter how valid it sounds to you, all I'm saying is, is, is please quit saying I would serve but fill in the blank. Some of you heard about the British preacher that came to America and discovered the common malady in the American churches that few people were actually serving. And so he decided he would preach a sermon across the country on the excuses that Christians make. <clears throat> he didn't understand the difference between British English and American English. So he started off talking about Christians who say, I would serve but, and there were three points in his sermon. Point number one is every Christian in America seems to have a but. <laughs> what? Point number two, some butts are bigger than other butts. <laughs> what? Point number three, you can't see your butt, but everybody else can. <laughs> And the moral of the story is quite clear. Oh, the moral of the story is quite clear. Sing it with me. Oh, the moral of the story. Yes, the moral of the story. Oh, the moral of the story is quite clear. And the moral of the story is one day God's going to expose your butt. <laughs> I got to close. In fact, this was my last Sunday at the bridge. <laughs> Elders are calling me in after the service. I see Larry now going. I got to answer the question before I let you go. How, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I get started? I'm so glad you asked. This big place, I mean, what do you do? Surely all the needs are met. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why we have test drive, test drive right out there in the lobby. On your way out, you stop at the test drive desk and you say, hey, I want to. Start using my talents. I'm not even sure what they are. 
Okay, we'll get you hooked up to something, and you try it out. And if it doesn't work, then you try something else. And if that doesn't work, we'll try something else. I mean, that's what test drive is about, so that you can experiment with different areas of service until you find your sweet spot and say, this is what God made me to do. And then you start expecting a return to come in the kingdom of God. If you've already done some test drive stuff, you're not sure what your next step is, go to the next steps area, out that door, and there'll be some people there that'll help you take your next step on this journey. Or you can take your Connect card and check a box on the back of it. Just let us know you're ready to do something. We'll get you started. Why? Because we need your help? Well, there's plenty to do, but that's not why. It's because we want you to pass the audit. We want you to pass the audit with glowing colors. You guys heard of the, the, the poem, Footprints in the Sand? The guy has a dream, and in his dream, there are seasons when there are two sets of footprints walking through the sand, and he knows that's him and God going for a walk. And then there are seasons when there's only one set, and his first thought is that maybe God had abandoned him. And he found out that, that in fact, those were times when it was hard, and God carried him. Well, I have another version that I actually like better. In fact, I told him to put the words on the screen so you could see them because it's a really good version. Um, it goes like this. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints alone was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. And then some strange print there appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord... They are too big for feet. My child, he said, in somber tone, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know, so I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. And so, my friend, there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb and one must rise to take his stand or leave his butt prints in the sand. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can have fun in church and still talk about a very serious topic. Because we know you want us to pass the audit even more than we want to pass it. You want almost desperately for every man, woman, and child ever created to come that moment where they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And in fact, one day, everything is coming under the headship of Jesus Christ. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord you want us to do it now, voluntarily. So I pray first for anyone in this room or anyone watching online that has never made that commitment. Lord, give me a fresh start. Give me a new life. And I'll do my best to follow you and trust you. Help me in my weakness. then the second part of that audit is, God, I'm going to evaluate what gifts and talents you've given me, and I promise not to consume them all on myself. I promise to use 
portion of them to serve others. Show me what you want me to do. My answer to you, sir, is yes. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. Will you pray that simple prayer with me? Go something like this. You can pray it silently or aloud. Pray it in your own words if you want, but let it go something, something like this. Jesus, thank you for giving gifts to me, talents to me. I don't know that I even recognize them all. But I promise you, Lord, that I'll do my best to use what I know about. And as they grow, I'll use them all the more. And as you show me more, I'll use them too. Because at the end of the day, you served me first. And I want to be like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I really want to know. You can do it on your smartphone by going to 72345 and texting hashtag new life. Let us know that you prayed with us today. If you're ready to start serving, go to test drive, go to uh, next steps, get involved. If you just gave your life to Christ, there's a table back there with information. Somebody would love to pray with you. The prayer teams are going to be here in the front after the service. You can come and pray with somebody today. But don't leave this place the same way you came. Leave this place saying, I'm going to be ready for the audit, and I'm going to smile when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant.